<laughs> in these last few weeks, we've been talking about being a community to reach a community, how we treat one another, how we work together as a body of Christ, that, that we are really called to illustrate the things that Jesus spoke about when he talked about this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like, how people love one another, how they forgive one another, how they bear each other's burdens, how they, how they, they, they stand together, how they give each other strength, that, that all these things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God, that this is what we now as a church, as living hope, want to illustrate, want to show to the world, that when people come in and, and look at us and they say, ah, that's what Jesus was talking about. That's the community that Jesus was talking about. That we don't live according to the world. We don't evaluate people according to like strength, abilities, a standing in society, appearance, but rather we value every person according to Christ because they are loved by God, because Jesus died for them. We talked about connection, the idea that, that connection, a relationship or a connection with, with the head, with Jesus Christ, is most important. You know, watch your head. We talked about our connection with one another. And this week we want to talk about, this morning we want to talk about the significance of love in the community. Now again, um, love seems fairly obvious and we all say, well, love, we know, you know, we may know the Greek words for love and all this kind of stuff, but what really does the, what does the Bible have to say about love, especially within the community of Jesus Christ? And what does that really look like? Now, the Bible, of course, we know, has several words for love. And the one that applies to the church is agape. That is, agape is the compassionate and righteous pursuit of another's well-being. Now, again, this is not the definitive definition because agape is used throughout scripture. It's used to describe God and his love for us. And if you think about God's love for us, how multifaceted that is and how hard that would be to actually define, even in just one or two sentences or a paragraph or a page, you can't define how much God loves us. But we're going to use this as kind of a, if you say, a working definition. This definitely describes God's love, the compassionate and righteous pursuit of another person's well-being. So the emphasis is not on feeling. It's not on, I feel love. You know, I just feel love in this room. Oh, I feel love for this person. I feel like there's, you know, that's not, I mean, you don't have to be commanded to feel certain things. Uh, if you feel, you know, you don't have to be commanded if you already, you know, feel this way. You don't say to your kids, make sure you eat all your candy, you know. I don't want to see any candy on your plate. You know, obviously, they don't care. You don't have to command them to do things that they already want to do, Right? They already feel like doing it. But the Bible, when you talk about a command, it means that it's going to require effort. It means that it's going to require uh, uh, actions that may go against how we might feel, our natural feelings, or our natural inclination. Because when Jesus commands us to love, he doesn't say, oh, just generate some, some warm feelings of affection towards the world. You know, I love the world. I want to give the world a big hug. That's not what God's talking about. Biblical love is to look after the needs of one another, no matter how we feel about that person, to pursue their betterment, their well-being, their advancement, no matter whether or not we like them, no matter whether or not how we feel about them. That's why Jesus says that we can even love our enemies. 
And so today we really want to talk about the importance of love, especially in the community of the church. And so let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. Let's, let's stand in reverence for the word of God. We'll just be reading two verses. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, you ever go, you know, when you go see uh, a movie, you know, whether you're going to go see Justice League or whatever this week, uh, whenever you go into the movie theater, when you first walk in, it's like really dark. It's like you're almost blinded and you're kind of standing there going, I, I don't know where I'm going to find a seat. But, you know, you, you stand there long enough and you just maybe stand for like less than a minute and then your eyes get used to the dark, right? Because your eyes physically, they, they dilate and you can you know, catch the light because there's some coming off the screen. And eventually they adjust and pretty soon you can sit down and find your place. Uh, physically, our eyes get used to the darkness. Um, that can also happen to the soul. In, in, in verse 11, John writes, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this idea of, of in the darkness, walks in the darkness, it, it's the idea of dwelling, abiding, walking about, living your life in this uh, realm of darkness, that, that darkness becomes the norm the place where that person lives and, 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 and feels comfortable. And this brings us really to the first effect of love in the community of true, of real agape love, and that is it enables us to walk in the light, to walk in the light of God. Um, when we determine to live according to Jesus Christ, to follow his commands, um, we bring ourselves into the light of God. In, in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, John talks a lot about what people say versus what they do. And he's saying, which is an indicator of the truth? And in verse 4, he says, people will say, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The next, in verse 6, he says, whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk as he walked. And then here, whoever says, I am in the light, but hates his brother, lives in the darkness. And so in these three verses, they're the same type of structure and same type of, of meaning. We're saying, John is saying that, that a lot of times people will announce or acknowledge and say, these are certain things that I claim about my life, but there are certain tests uh, in terms of actions that really that reveal what's the truth, what's the truth about our life. And, of course, verse 11, the big one is our love for one another. He says, if I'm in the light, saying I'm walking in the light of God. God's, God is in me, and, and God has, is guiding me, and God is blessing me. But John says, if you say that, but you hate your brother, um, what is really true? Can people, is my life the question is, is my life showing the compassion and righteous pursuit of the well-being of others? I mean, really, is this what I'm doing? If somebody looked at the things that I was doing, looked at the things that I was saying, looked at my interactions with my friends, not just my friends, but strangers, and even people that they know, you know, we know in, at work, you know, people know, oh, yeah, there it goes, those two you know, here she comes, you know. They know that, or at school, you know, they know when you don't get along with somebody, that, oh, oh, you know, things like that. I mean, they know. 
there's certain people that we don't get along with. But, but when they look at us, you know, is our life still showing compassion and the righteous pursuit of their well-being? Even those that people know that, that, that we don't get along with, that don't get along with us or that have hurt us. God says this is, this is an indicator of whether or not we walk in the light of God. I mean, nobody can actually see if you're walking in darkness or light. They can't tell. Uh, I always thought that would be a great app for the smartwatch, you know, if it had this thing that says individuals walking in the light or walking in the dark, or the Fitbit has those little dots, you know, and you can look at it and go, oh, you're one dot? Oh, I don't see any dots on your Fitbit, you know, you're not walking with God today, things like that, you know. Uh, they should have, yeah, you know, a Christian Fitbit, you know. It's not just I exercise, but I read my Bible, ooh, the dot's going up, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, so I'm walking in the full dots, whoa, I'm walking in the Lord, you know, I'm walking in the light. But no, there's no bright, there's no shine over us, there's no darkness that, that car- that's over us, because, you know, our faces, we can fake it, you know. I walk in church, and you don't know if I'm walking in the light or the darkness. I say, I love Jesus, I praise Jesus, I can sing songs and smile and, and greet you. But you don't know whether I'm walking in the light or darkness. But God says, hey, you know, if we don't love our brothers and sisters, if we don't seek after their well-being, that's a picture of whether or not we, we walk in the light that if God calls us to love and we say, no, God is too much trouble, not today. Or if God says, I want you to love, we say, well, yeah, I do, but not, not that person. Not that person, God. God. John is saying then we are operating outside of God's light and guidance. It says we've cut off access to the wisdom of God. That, that the refreshing power of the Spirit uh, is, is dampened in our life. Because, because we refuse to honor the things that God calls us to do. When you're in the dark, it says, when you're in the dark, you can't see where you're going. When you're in the dark, you're, you're, you're going to stumble. It says, love is, is real only when it's tested. Only when we reach beyond ourselves and love someone who we do not wish to love, or we do not love naturally. That's the kind of love that John is speaking of. That's the love that is an external sign of true discipleship, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, according, to love, according to the Bible, remember, love is not emotional. It's not, it's not just, you know, I, okay, yeah, I still feel good about that person. We're still good. No, that's not necessarily love. It's not, uh, I don't want to harm them. I'm not going to do anything to them. Uh, I'm just going to ignore them, you know. Uh, that's not love. Love is the willful choice to act for their benefit or good. It's not saying, well, you know, this person, and we do this a lot. I will, you know, well, okay, maybe I do this. <laughs> no. Somebody you don't like, you know, really giving you a hard time, you just say, okay, I'm just not going to hang around them because every time I hang around them, I get angry. So the best thing is I just don't hang around them, don't talk to them. And they have their life and I have my life and we're all good. That's not love. That's just trying to avoid sin. Right? You say, I don't want to sin some more by, you know, doing something I, don't, I regret, but that's not really love. Because love says it's not just don't do anything bad to them. Love says you uh, do good to them. 
You, you do what is good for their benefit, that they will grow in Jesus Christ. And as painful as it might be to, to interact with that person, and as hurtful as they may be, what are we doing to help them to be more like Jesus Christ? That's love. That's the love that God is asking for us to do here, among us, here in the church. I mean, you ever wonder why God always seems to bring difficult people in your life? I mean, it's, it's always that way. It's like, you know, everywhere you go, it's like, I just quit that job and because of this person and I started this job and sure enough, that person's still there. Not the same person, but you know what I mean. That person's still there, you know. Oh, I thought last year, you know, my, my sophomore year, that one person in my class, oh, I'm so glad I'm a junior now and I go to new friends and oh, that person again. Oh, my gosh. Or you go to a church, you know, go to a new church. Oh, you know, that church, I'm so tired of that church, and they were like this, and they were like that. And this, you come to a new church and go, this is great because this church really worships God, and I love them, and they love God, and oh, what do you know? There's that person at this church, too. They go to another church. Oh, they're there, too. There's always difficult people. Why is it that there are difficult people everywhere? Why? Because God wants to teach us how to love like Jesus. We can't run away from that. And we don't want to run away from that. We don't want to run away from what God wants to do in our lives. We don't want to run away from that. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us. This is his love. This is his type of love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Jesus' love, that God willfully acted out of his love when we were unlovable, when we were annoying, when we were undependable, when we were unlikable, when we were unpredictable, when we were unappreciative, and God still loved us. And God didn't say, I'm just going to love them a little bit, like, yeah, okay, you know, they're, you know... At least everybody deserves a little bit of love. You know, just give them a little bit. No, God says, I didn't hold back. I gave everything. I gave my son. That's how much love that I poured on you and me and every person that has come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. This is the kind of love that God has for us. That's agape. And, and, and if God himself needed to make sacrifice, I mean, God, had to make sacrifices to love us. What does that say about the cost for us to love others and what God is asking of us? The more we love others, the more we abide in God, and the more we abide in God, the more spirit fills us, and the more the spirit fills us, the more strength we have to love God. It's not a vicious circle. This is what I call a beautiful triangle. It's like we love others, okay? We, we love others, we follow God's command. What happens? We abide with God, Right? That's, what, that's exactly what this verse says. We abide with God. We abide with God, what happens? Spirit fills us with power. What happens when the Spirit fills us with power? We have the strength to love others even better. We love others more, we abide with God more. We're closer to God. God continues to fill us with more Spirit power. We love others more. We serve others more. We do more for God. We abide with God, and it's this triangle. It's this beautiful triangle. Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And this is kind of a warning when he talks about stumbling. We don't really know whether he's talking about the individual stumbling or he causes other people to stumble. But spiritual, what they're saying here is that spiritual darkness is not static. 
We say, well, I don't mind walking in spiritual darkness. I mean, I'm used to the dark. No, spiritual darkness never stays the same. It advances. It spreads. It's just like that triangle, but it's a vicious triangle or a vicious circle. Darkness attacks people uh, living in darkness. And uh, uh, they just become even more trapped in darkness. Because the longer we remain in darkness, the more difficult it is to see our sin. The more difficult it is to see our sin the less likely we are to confess it. Uh, the less likely we are to confess it, uh, the less likely we are to draw close to God. And uh, habitual coldness will just lead to more coldness. We don't want to go down that path, even just a little bit, where the possibility of loving others gets less and less. And the spiritual darkness doesn't just stay with us, it can spread to others. We have anger, uh, uh, hateful words, uh, gossip, lack of love, even just the look in our face, our demeanor, you know, if we look disgusted or something like that, it affects other people. They say, oh, you know, so-and-so, we talked about, you know, the older people, you know, have, expressing the, the faithfulness of God, but if we older people look like, oh, man, like we're disgusted with something, and younger people look and go, oh, man, they don't, they don't like being here. They don't like, there's something bothering them or things like that. And, and it can spread to others. That we don't even realize it. That, that, that if we're not in that sense of, in, in that realm of, of light, uh, of love, where we are joyful in the Lord, where we are, are, are maybe struggling, but we are, we are, we are thankful that because Jesus is worth it, um, then, 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 then we, instead of spreading darkness, um, we spread light. I mean, you don't want a, a young Christian hearing an older Christian, a more experienced Christian, complaining about people in the church, complaining about this person or that person, complaining about how this church does that and that church, our church does this and that, um, because it, it, it will discourage people. And, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to let our, um, our, our, our frustrations uh, begin to affect other people as well. And we have to be careful about that. I have to be careful about that a lot. Uh, when we love our brothers, we choose to love our brothers, we choose to pursue their good with compassion and righteousness. When we love our brothers and sisters, and again, when we love our brothers and sisters, uh, it enables us to walk in God's illuminating light. There's no cause for stumbling, not, but not us and not others. And so if, if we look at this here and we say, you know, right now, if you feel like you're in a kind of a spiritual funk right now, do we use that word anymore, funk? You know, <laughs> 70s word, you know. But I'm, like, if you really feel like this is really hard spiritually, I'm just kind of in a rut and and I can't get out of it. Now, there's certain internal things that you definitely need to address. Maybe we need to confess our sin. Maybe we need to pray. Uh, we need the refreshment and the conviction that comes from the Word of God. It involves repentance, turning from those things that cause us to stumble. But don't forget that it's not just about self. It's not just internal. I need to search myself. I mean, that the world also talks about that. Search yourself. Find those inner... No, uh, the Spirit of God says, hey, remember to love others too. Remember, don't back away from the, 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 the congregation. Don't back away from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may say, well, yeah, but that's causing... No. God says, you gotta... If, if you're struggling and, and dry, we come close because we need each other, because by us loving on other people, by us learning to love, the, to, to express the love of Jesus Christ, 
it doesn't matter even if, if I feel like, well, they're not doing it to me. It doesn't matter. Express, express the love of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ to, to seek the benefit of others. And God will continue to, to fill you and enrich you. Don't forget that part of um, the spiritual life. The second effect of love is that love casts out all fear. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, goes on to say, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in his love, in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he, as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, but whoever loves God must also love his brother. He goes to that again. This is a, the continual theme in First John, this idea that, that this love for God and, and the love of God, it pours out and it affects our relationship with one another, one another and our relationship with one another also pours out and it affects our relationship with God. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. And I love that, that feeling because, you know, we all have fears. And those fears, if we imagine them like this burden on our back, like literally I'm walking around and I am so fearful. And, you know, if you have a fear of something, it's, it's a burden. And, and, and the, the idea of just taking that fear and, and, and casting it off, like literally whatever that fear is, I don't know what the fear is for you or whatever it's going to be, the fear that this might happen or the fear that, that this person uh, might do this or the fear that, you know, my secrets, it's, it's a burden. And, and, and God says that perfect love takes that burden and it's like casting it off and feeling this, this freedom. And, and, and the, the fear particularly that John speaks of is the fear of God's judgment. If you look at this particular passage, he says, if a believer is terrified of the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to stand before Jesus. And, you know, it doesn't matter what type of Christian, you know, how Christian we looked in church, we're going to stand before Jesus. Jesus knows everything. And he says, if you are terrified of the judgment seat of Christ, it's because God's love has not reached its completeness in us. Now, this doesn't speak about reverence, though. We always have a reverential fear for God. But, but the type of, of fear that John is talking about, you look at this, he says fear has to do with, uh, with punishment. So um, for those who are in Christ, we do not fear the punishment of God no matter how sinful we are, because we know that in God's love, we are forgiven through the blood of Christ. There's no fear of judgment. And this is a reality for every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. We know God loves us. We know God will never condemn us. He will never harm us because of our sin, because it is covered by the blood of Christ. Now, we may bring harm to ourselves, and God may allow some of that, but it's always so that we will, uh, because of his love, that he will bring us to a place where we will grow and, and be his people. And if this is the way um, we feel towards God, no fear of re rejection, no fear of condemnation, then so it should be within the community of Jesus Christ as well. God has forgiven us so much through the blood of Jesus, that if he has withheld his retaliation and placed it on Jesus for the multitude of our sin, how much more should we forgive others? I mean, he, Jesus talked about that parable. 
And we already talked about that. The guy who had this, you know, million dollars of debt, and the and the and the king said, "You're forgiven." And then he goes out and and he's got a thousand dollars of debt from somebody else, this servant, and he says, "Pay me back, and I'm going to throw you in jail." And the king says, "Hey, that's not the way to act. If I've forgiven you, you know, this affects how you treat other people." And so, if 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 God has forgiven us so much, how much more should we eliminate the fear of punishment and retaliation for the sins committed within the body of Christ? For the, for the relational sins. And there are relational sins. No church is perfect. People do bad things. People do foolish things. We get hurt. But the Bible says the church is where there should be no fear. Fear comes when there's no forgiveness, right? If, if a person doesn't forgive me, I'm, I'm fearful. What are they going to do? Fear comes when there's no compassion. Wow, that person is not very nice. I, I, I feel afraid of them. Fear comes when we stand on our rights to get what we deserve. Fear comes when we reject, when we judge, when we withhold love. Uh, uh, this is not a community of Christ. The community of Christ is a place where, where love has cast out these fears. There is no fear because perfect love casts out fear. That, that's what John is speaking of. When we learn to love with a Jesus love, each one of us, um, we cast off fear. We cast it off of our relationships. We say, Satan, you do not have a place in this community. That's where Satan gets his foothold. Usually in a lot of churches, that's where Satan gets his foothold. It's in the relationships with people. It's in you know, causing division, causing factions, causing grudges, causing uh, uh, all these things, causing fear, causing misunderstanding. And God says, no, perfect love, the love of Jesus Christ, cast all that fear out. Satan, you have no place in this church when we love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. We're not going to let Satan have any room to divide, to cause misunderstanding, to cause hurt. Because we want to be a place where the perfect love of Jesus Christ is perfected in each one of us. We may say, well, that's hard, but Jesus, man, Jesus, he he says, he has a victory already. He has the victory in the cross. Jesus compassionately and righteously pursued our good for our benefit. He pursued it to the cross. He died for our sin, and he rose from the dead to say that my love has victory, has overcome this world. Believe it. Living in the light means we, living in love enables us to walk in the light of God. It enables us to, to cast off all fear. And again, in the, the, the uh, mission conference last yesterday, one of the speakers says, Christians are the only ones who will run towards the darkness. Why? Because we're the light. Everybody else is running away from the darkness. They're afraid of these things. And he says, but Christians, we run into the darkness. Why? Because we have the light of Jesus Christ. We bring the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness. We believe that the light of Jesus Christ transforms the darkness. And we're not afraid because Jesus already has the victory. He already risen from the dead. We're not sitting there waiting. Is Jesus going to rise from the dead? Is he going to? No, he's already risen from the dead. He's already seated at the right hand of God. We can look up and we see him seated on the right hand of God. There is no question No question that Jesus has the victory. 
The second speaker at the Young Missions Conference was the speaker that came to Ryan and Allison's house. And if you weren't there, um, she was like, like my daughter says, she was cray-cray. I mean, she was like crazy. She was like crazy for Jesus. And uh, she had worked in Turkey for like 10 years as a missionary. She talked about the power of Jesus. And she said, uh, she said a lot of things. But the one thing that really struck me, she said, everybody thinks Islam is so strong. That Islam is so dark, so insurmountable, this stronghold of Satan. But they're wrong. She says, they're wrong. She says, Jesus is stronger. Jesus has victory over Satan. Amen? Jesus has victory over Islam. She says she went to Turkey. She was in Turkey in the college campuses. She said, all the college campuses by law are closed. Meaning only Muslims are allowed on campus because they're afraid. They're like, they don't want non-Christians or other people of other religions or non-Muslims coming into, uh, particularly into the colleges, to share different ideas to their students. And so these, uh, she was with another uh, student and she was praying, uh, a missionary. They were praying on the bus and they're saying, God, you know, we can't lie if they ask who we are. But God, just pray that the, 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 the guard won't ask us who we are. And so they got on the bus, they went down, and then, of course, the guy's, you know, asking, you know, you Muslim, and then for them, they got through. The guard didn't ask them. And so they got on campus, and they were walking around, and they said, what do we do now? And they said, well, let's, let's just pray. So they walked around campus, and they were praying, and, and said, God, what do you want us to do here? And while they were praying, some students, this group of girls, came to them, and uh, they said, hey, we heard you, pray, we heard you speaking, it sounds like you're speaking English, are, are you do you guys speak English? Are you guys from America? And they said, yeah, we're from America. And they go, oh. And they, they, the girls got so excited. They said, stay here. We're going to call our professor right away. And then, of course, the missionaries got kind of scared. Like, what? And then they called, you know, and they were saying stuff in, in, in Turkish, and, and they didn't understand what was going on. And, and then they said, come with us, come with us, quick, you know. And uh, then they, 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 the two missionaries went to the classroom. And when they got in the classroom, all the students stood up and started clapping for them. And they're like, you know, what do we do? You know, and the professor goes, these are two students from America. And he says, for the next 15 minutes, they're just going to speak English. <laughs> you know? And then the missionary's like, you know, what do you mean? He said, no, just for 15 minutes, just say whatever you want in English. And they said, okay. So they started talking about Jesus <laughs> for 15 minutes. And then they finished talking about Jesus for 15 minutes. And then the whole class stood up and clapped for them again. And then the professor says, you've got to come every week. I'll give you the whole class an hour. If you just come and speak English for an hour every week, you can come every week and speak English. And so the missionaries that came back every week for an hour in the classroom and spoke about Jesus. And then it happened that, that, that they're Korean. This is a Korean missionary. And it happened that they heard about this Christian singing group that was coming to Turkey to, uh, to go to colleges. And they said to the professors, hey, you know, there's this, um, this Korean Christian singing group and we would love to have them come on campus. And the, and the professor was like, mm, what's that mean? Just, and then she said, well, it's like K-pop. <laughs> and the professor goes, oh, K-pop. We love K-pop here. <laughs> and then so they, they spread it through the whole campus that this K-pop group was coming to the campus. And, of course, all the students, they don't know what, they don't know what K-pop. You know, she was saying, oh, man, they're not K-pop at all. You know, but they were, like, getting autographs and you know, everything like that. And, and, they, you know, and the, the, the group would share their testimony and sing about Jesus. And... Um, then she said, you know, after, a year afterwards, she said the government not only lifted the ban for non-Muslims on campus, but actually mandated that every campus in the city must now have at least one large event from a non-Muslim group. 
That was a law that was passed in the whole city. And she says, you tell me now, who is more powerful, Islam or Jesus? And she began to weep. And she was saying, you know, ISIS is recruiting all these young people because they have no hope. And she says, in, in Islam faith, Allah doesn't even reside in heaven. He resides somewhere else. She says, what kind of religion is it where your God doesn't even want to be with you in heaven? Why would you give your life to a God like that? And yet these people do because they have no hope, because they've given their lives to a lie, because no one has told them about the truth. And then she quoted and she said so loud that I thought I was going to blow the speakers. Like if you hear her, her voice is so loud. And she says, this is what Jesus said, young people. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. And behold, I will be with you to the end, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And, and as she said that, the whole room, all 500 of us, we were just, it just erupted. And people were just crying out the name of Jesus. I mean, that's all we did. We were just yelling Jesus at the top of our voices. 500 people in this, this, this small sanctuary, just yelling the name of Jesus at the top of our lungs, crying out to him. You may say, well, that sounds kind of crazy, Pastor Harrison. Um, but don't worry, we're not going to do that here. <laughs> um, the Spirit... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is... <laughs> we love, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We love, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus is so powerful. Jesus has overcome. Jesus has overcome. The Spirit works in so many different ways, and we just celebrate with all different ways that the Spirit works. And we just, after she was just praising, we just shouting about the name of Jesus. We just kept singing over and over again. We said, let the, let the dreams of this generation be the dreams of God's heart, that we may see the nations returning to Jesus. And we just said that over and over again for like 20 minutes. Just seeing that, that may our hearts just be the heart of Jesus. That we want to see all the nations. We want to see all the nations return to Jesus. We believe that all the nations will return to Jesus. He has a victory. He has a victory. Islam is nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus will break down all the barriers of Islam because Islam is nothing. It's nothing. Jesus, Jesus has the victory. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. We don't care about all the good things that he made. Not, we don't care about it, but that's not why we follow Jesus because he did this for me, because he did that for me, because he gave me this, because he gave me that, because he, whatever, whatever. We serve Jesus because he is worthy. He is worthy of worship. Every single nation needs to hear the name of Jesus. They, they must hear the name of Jesus. And Jesus has the victory. We are not on, the, on, on, on the, the disadvantaged side. We are on the advantage. We've already won. 
We're not waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead. He has already risen. There is no question. He has already risen. He is already on the throne. And he is ruling and he is calling the nations to come back to him. And he's doing a great work and people are coming to him. In Egypt, they are sending out missionaries all over the Muslim world to bring people to Jesus Christ. And these missionaries, they know that they risk their lives the minute they open their mouth and they go and they go. This is who we are. We are living hope. We are a community called together to reach a community, to reach a community for Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in prayer. Thank <laughs> you.